All right, today's scripture is taken from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. If you have your Bible, please open it up and follow along with me there. You can follow along on the screen behind me as well. Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just a little disclaimer. I think this is going to be one of the uh, toughest topics that I've I will probably preach on. Um, as we talk about, think about this past summer and as we think about all the news, and also as we hear the news of Houston, um, right now there were over 2,000 phone calls asking for help. And so as the water levels are rising, we live in this tumultuous time. Uh, before I go into the message, as we pray about this topic and also what's going on in our world, would you join me in a time of prayer as we lift up our brothers and sisters in Houston area, Corpus Christi, um, Rockport? And just say, God, uh, through the churches, through the public workers, through the service people, men and women, save and help lives. Would you take a moment to pray? Lord, as we live in this comfort of SoCal, and our only complaint is it's a little hot today, we think about our brothers and sisters in Houston area um, with rain over 26 inches and then some uh, driven out. And we do ask that you would give us a burden as we lift them up, that in this next few days as the rain continues to come, that you would show mercy and that you would be able to provide for every family, every household, every senior every child and every living thing in that area um, as we are the church and as one part of the body hurts we all hurt 
We, that applies in the Houston scenario. It also applies universally in face of terrorism, racism, and slavery, and all these dark things that still continue to just menace us. And so we turn our hearts to you as your kingdom people to make sure that we don't stay in a bubble of our comfort zone, but to be challenged by your words to live out and move out, not for our own comfort and living a peaceful life, but to sometimes break that peace because you call us out into the world to be your hands and feet. And so, Lord, give us a fire and a passion and a courage and faith to understand you as you want us to understand you and not what we make of you as we think about all these things. And so, Lord, bless the prayers for these communities and bless this time now. May our hearts be humble, may our ears be open, and may my words be sanctified by your spirit, God, that these are your truths and not a man's opinions. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, let me just start by saying, um, I'm sure for about 60 to 70% of you, you've never heard this phrase said to you. You ready? Go back to your own country. Growing up in my life, I heard that maybe at least once a month. I was the only Korean boy in my school. In my high school, I was the only one of two Korean persons that graduated in our whole high school. And throughout, I, I became a citizen, and I heard, go back to your own country. And so I was thinking about my daughters and son, and I'm thinking they were born here in Plano, Texas, and Livingston, New Jersey. And one day, they're going to hear, because the way they look, go back to your own country, and I hope they respond, I will. And that's where I am. And I hope they say that. But the point of this is, you know the heart of that statement, it's so cutting because it's what we call racist. It's what we call this, this tension of superiority. And so Philip Yancey is an author, a Christian author that I love. He wrote books called like, What's So Amazing About Grace, Jesus I Never Knew. Very incredible. I didn't know this until this past week that this is how he grew up. He grew up adoring and looking up to KKK in his rural land. And he wrote an article later on titled Confessions of a Racist. And he was sharing a story that I want to share with you. Just because we're in church doesn't mean throughout history church has been on the right side. If anything, a lot of times we've been on the wrong side. But listen to this from a pulpit of a sermon and a pastor preaching. Philip Yancey writes, the next church I attended was a smaller, more fundamentalist, and more overtly racist church. There I learned a theological basis to racism. Oh, there's a theological basis for racism. The pastor taught that the Hebrew word ham meant burnt black, and that in its curse, Noah consigned his son Ham to life as a lowly servant, Genesis 9. That explains, quote-unquote, the pastor preaching, that explains why black people make such good waiters and household servants. Watch a black waiter move through a crowded restaurant, swiveling his hips, balancing a tray of food above his head. He's good at that job because that's the job God destined him for in the curse of Ham. And he writes, Philip Yancey writes one sentence, no one bothered to point out that the curse was actually directed at Canaan, not Ham. This was preached five decades ago in America by a pastor 
in a church giving a theological basis for why whites are superior to blacks and why blacks are inferior. As a Christian and as a pastor, I just want to pause and just say how embarrassed I am as a pastor and as a Christian that this was considered biblical, godly teaching. And I wish I could say, thank God we live in a new generation, but I wonder if that's even true. And I think there was a book that I read this week, and I realized it framed it so well. And the author writes, there's no cure for racism, but there is healing for racism because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? There may not be a cure because later on I'll share with you, but cure is this one time, take this pill, we're done. Uh, I don't think that's, there's a cure for it, but there is a power of healing for racism through the good news of Jesus Christ. So I want to look at this issue not from a political point of view. I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm a Libertarian, I'm a Socialist, I'm a Feminist, I'm a, I don't, whatever, whatever ist you are, but as Christians, I wonder if we could look at it from the kingdom perspective, from Jesus' point of view. Shall we try? And say, how do we look at this issue from all points of colors? And I'm just looking at this room right now. We got Asians, we got Hispanics, we got Latinos, we got Caucasians, we got Europeans, we got African Americans. And in this room, there is literally not one person that I would not die for. If you're in trouble and you're being attacked, I will not walk on the other side. There is not one, because I know almost all of you. And I think some of you would do the same. So how do we live this out right? And so Jesus has a lot to say about it. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is less of a moral story of be nice to your neighbor. It's actually way deeper and heavier. And he's actually talking about racism in light of what it means to be a neighbor. So Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bible, let's follow it together. If you have your Bible, this is a great way to just follow along verse by verse and let's talk it out. So there's depth to this. And it starts out, he launches into this parable because an expert in the law, a, a Jewish expert comes up and says to Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. And uh, I like how Luke says he was asking this to test him. So verse 26, Jesus responds, what is written in the law, how do you read it? Because he's an expert in the law. So he's reading the Bible and he says, I know the law, Deuteronomy 6, basically he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Did Jesus like that answer? He did. That's a good answer, man. And so he responds, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now, if you're good, reformed, theological Christians like me, you would say, wait a minute. I thought grace is how we're saved. Is Jesus saying, do this and I could earn salvation? No. Jesus is saying life, eternal life, is found in a relationship with God and in his love. And in that love, you can love your neighbors. So Jesus saying that, verse 29, here's a kicker. The expert in the law says, sounds good, verse 29, but he wanted to what? Justify himself. Why? Why do you think he wanted to justify himself? And so do you have kids and they do this? You tell a kid, 
do not go outside today. And what does a kid do? He opens a door and he stands right in the doorway. And then you say, I told you, don't go outside. And what does a kid say? I'm not outside, Daddy. I'm standing in the structure of a door frame. You know, you know what we call that? Sin and rebellion. I'm just kidding. Well, that is that. We call that like testing the limits. Like how far can I go? What, what is the rule? How far can I bend it? And we've all experienced that. Oh, uh, Anyway, so the teacher of the law is saying, okay, I like this neighbor, but what qualifies as a neighbor? Because there are some people I do not like. There are some, who's my neighbor? Because there's some people I'm not down with. So when I say I have to love my neighbor, what, me, what is a neighbor? Because if it's my best friend, I could love my neighbor every day. But if it's like, you know who, Jesus, I'm not sure if I'm down with that. So the expert in the law wanted to justify himself. Surely, I don't have to love everyone. So Jesus goes on and he says, oh, actually, before I continue, Eugene Peterson, about this story, he says this. Jesus uses parable not to simply say, go help somebody, although that's part in there. Jesus uses parable to say, according to Eugene Peterson's word, quit trying to define a neighbor ethically or socially and to simply, without fanfare, become a neighbor to whomever we happen upon. See, the expert in the law was trying to define what makes a neighbor. And Jesus' point is, quit defining your neighbor based on your preferences, your prejudice, your bias, and your convenience. And define neighbor based on who you happen to fall upon. Wow. So, parallel good Samaritan. So, Jesus goes on. He goes, there was a man who was walking, and then he was beaten, basically robbed. He was left for dead. And then a priest walks by. Moves to the other side, verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And the story with the children, I use a pastor because that's the closest thing. The priest goes to the temple on behalf of you to say, God, forgive their sins, here's a sacrifice. And this holy man, you would expect to be kind, walks to the other side. Because it's a bloody man and I don't want to become unclean spiritually should he die. What was he thinking about? Love of the person or his own status? That's his point. Second, a Levite walks by. Brilliant of Jesus. You know why I use choir? You know what Levites did in the Jewish people's world? They were in charge of the worship. They were the ones that got the music on. They were the ones that got the bulletins and the Sunday worship going. The Sabbath, well, Sabbath, the Saturday worship. They were the ones sitting up there in robes. They were the prestigious, religious worshipers. Surely they'll know how to love. Uh Uh-uh. Walked right along the other side. Because I'm more important than this person. And so they're looking for the hero. So who's going to save this man? And Jesus goes on, a Samaritan, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. What is the only difference between the Samaritan and the other two? He actually felt something. Just a great first lesson in love. (laughs) 
Does your heart even have the sensitivity to have pity on those who are hurting and broken? This is the beginning of love. If you live a life out of anger, resentment, bitterness, guess what's going to happen to your heart? You numb it. And you don't let anyone hurt it. And you don't let anyone touch it. And yet, the side effect of that is you have no ability to love and empathize with others. A Samaritan. They were considered half-breeds. These non-Jews. These mutts. Because they intermingled sexually with these Gentiles. And the Jews said, you guys are not true God's people. And Jesus uses who as a hero? A Samaritan. He took up, put him on his donkey, gave him wine and oil. and He paid the night at a caregiver and said to him, take care of him and whatever else I owe, I will come back and pay back. Jesus asked this question to the expert in the law. Which of these three? Listen, the question was, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man, the Jewish man, the beaten man in the hands of the robbers? He didn't say, go help your neighbor. He said, who was a neighbor to the man that was beaten? Who was being a neighbor? And the expert in the law could not say the priest or the Levite. And in this story, I couldn't say, oh, would it be so great the pastor comes in, saves a day, prays for him, he's healed, he gets saved, and now go to that church because this, that church has a good pastor. This is what people were expecting. Instead, the hero was a Samaritan, this mutt that the Jews considered not even people. By the way, uh, Jews hated Samaritans so much that they considered them equal to, get this, is this an honor? Lepers. You know how Jews treated lepers? Get out, don't live with me, you're dirty, and don't ever come show your face here again. And so lepers had a colony, and that's how they treated Samaritans. So the expert in the law was so disappointed, he could not even say the Samaritan. You know what he said? He said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus' response is this, you go and do Likewise. Wow. You want me to follow the example of a Samaritan when you had a Levite and a priest? And Jesus is saying, go and do likewise. So let's break this down. I just want to share four truths from this. Jesus' purpose of this parable. Number one, he answers the question, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Anyone around you is your neighbor. Can we read that together? Who is your neighbor? Now, raise your hand if you only hang out with people that look at you, look like you 24-7 and you never see any other different people in the world. Wow. Who is your neighbor? Anyone around you. I, I'm sorry, KKK. I live in this country. You may not like me, but I see you as my neighbor. And I'm not going to go back to my country. <laughs> I'll pray for you. I'll love with you. I'll live in the community with you, but I wish you could love me like I am called by Jesus to love you because we live in the same city, county, state, country. Who is our neighbor? Jesus is saying, which of these was a neighbor to the man? And the person that they loathed was the neighbor, the Samaritan. And Jesus is saying, go and do likewise. 
It's not because of a title. It's not because of religious affiliation. It's because he happened to be there at the right time and showed compassion that the Samaritan became a neighbor. This is saying, Jesus is saying, ready in 21st century now, out of that principle, are blacks your neighbors? Come on, church. Say amen. Are blacks your neighbors? Are Latinos your neighbors? Are Asians your neighbors? Are HIV people your neighbors? Are gay people your neighbors? Are KKK your neighbors? We may not like them, but they're our neighbors and we can serve them. This is what kingdom people look like. Not Republicans or Democrats or Antifa or alt-right. What Christ followers look like. And so, kingdom of God is for who? Thank goodness it's for just Koreans. You could convert today. Altar call, if you want to be Korean, come on up. You're laughing because how ridiculous that the kingdom of God would be only for just certain people. When Jesus says, let them come. And there is neither Greek or Jew, Gentile, male or female. So Jesus' first point is, the neighbor, everyone around you is your neighbor. This is how Jesus' followers live. So two, Jesus makes a second point. Love your neighbor, even enemies. Can we read that together? Ready, go. And this one, I'm like, Paul wrote this, and this could be a whole sermon, but let me just read to you. Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12. This is a little bit lengthy, but let me give you Paul's sermon. I'm not going to even, like, try. I'm going to just read it. Listen to this. How do you treat people who are even your enemies? Listen to Paul in Romans 12, 9 and 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Just, just on that alone, can you imagine how that would look if you had a group of people you didn't like? And Paul says, honor yourself. Honor others above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Are you hearing just go to church and be nice? Where do we get that idea? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. We call that in clinical world, empathy. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low positions. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Listen to this. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen? Darkness cannot drive out darkness. You are God's people. You are kingdom people. You are not religious people trying to follow rules. You are Christ's living people who have overcome death. We cannot drive out darkness with darkness. We live by a whole new standard. So Jesus' point here is love your, enemy, love your neighbors even if they're your enemies. Three, 
Let's read this together. Ready? Go. Love is an action, not an emotion. I love that. Because, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And it doesn't end there. How many of you have done this? Like, don't raise your hand, because it's convicted, but it's like incriminating. But you said, oh man, poor so-and-so. Gosh, I really feel for them. Okay, well, what do we have for lunch? I'm a loving person. I feel so bad. Oh, they really need prayer. I'll pray for them. Oh, so hey, our movie's about to start. Let's go. See, I think we confuse love with an emotion. By the way, marriage, you don't get married for love. That's actually a modern century concept. Majority of the past two millennia, people married not for love. I love him. Oh, he's so cute. Have you seen him 40 years later? You don't marry for love. You marry for what? It's a, it's a sacrifice of giving yourself to the other. You marry for commitment. Till death do us part. We are this society of like, I feel love, therefore I must be loving. What does the Samaritan do? He doesn't go, oh my goodness, you're hurt. I'll pray for you. Jesus is saying love is not an emotion, it's an action. He gave him water and oil. He got off his donkey. He picked him up, put him on a donkey. By the way, that's hard to do for a grown-up. And then went to an inn, paid for him, and he showed love by action. Can we just repent of this? Just because you feel love and sympathy doesn't mean you're loving. You know what church does? We get out there and we serve and we do loving things. Amen? I think we really give ourselves a pat on the back. I am the most friendliest person. This church is so friendly. Here's what loving and friendly looks like. You don't wait for people to come into the church to serve them, although you should. The church gets out there and serves into the community, into the broken homes, into the neighbors. Do you even know the next door neighbor's house name and the other neighbor and the neighbor across from you? There was a book called Art of Neighboring and it says as Christians, we are failing at this because we don't even know our neighbor's names. And how are you going to love them? I have the Chao, Shigematsu, and the Guterres. That book challenged me a year ago because before that I didn't know. See, love is not simply, go, I bless you. But it's get out of your comfort zone. Pull out your wallet if you need to. And you're hungry, there are 10 more people worse than you. What can you do about it? This is what a church does. And so there's a story that I wanted to read that uh, I shared this long time ago to a youth group. It was, and I was like, this is a great story. True story. There was a new recruit in the training in Paris Island. He wanted to become a Marine. Hoorah! Tony Vogel's a real Marine and he's laughing at me. He was one of those young men who seemed a bit out of step with the norm. And he easily became the subject of ridicule for those who were picking on offbeat people. In the particular barrack where he stayed, the young Marines got together and they wanted to play a joke on this new recruit and humiliate him. One day, someone came up with this awesome idea, a bright idea to scare the daylights out of this new young Marine by dropping a disarmed grenade on the floor. Everyone knew about it and they were all ready to get a good laugh. 
The hand grenade was thrown into the middle of the floor, and the warning was yelled, It's a live grenade! It's a live grenade! It's about to explode! They fully expected the young man to jump out the window. Instead, the young Marine fell on the grenade, hugged it to his stomach, yelled to the other men in the barracks, Run for your lives. Run for your lives. You'll be killed if you don't. The other Marines froze in stillness and shame. They realized that the one they had scorned was the one ready to lay down his life for them. The power of love in action, even to overcome enemies. This is what love looks like in the Good Samaritan. It is not simply be nice. It is not simply just care of your neighbors. It's love is in action, even to enemies. And we're good at feeling lovey, and you're going to go home and say, oh, I felt that, that felt good. The test is, will you be willing to feel not good for the sake of people? Lastly, this is like the no-brainer. Jesus' explicit purpose in this is what? Let's read it together. In this story, you may have been shocked because I said this skater was not even a believer or a church kid. And I made that explicitly on purpose for this reason. How embarrassing it is for the kingdom of God, the people of God, who have the truth and the gospel, who felt and experienced God's love. We are worse at being neighbors than those who don't even know God. What an indictment. That people will not go to church sometimes because they're the least people who are practicing what Jesus taught than the people who are not even followers of Jesus Christ. This is why 20% of America right now considers themselves nuns, N-O-N-E-S. I don't believe in any God because I've been burned, scorned, and I don't believe it at all. There might be a God. I don't just have any affiliation. What does it look like if the church, instead of saying we love and singing about love, we actually lived, loved, and followed Jesus and said, if this Samaritan could do it, expert in the law, you go and do likewise. How much more are we called by God to live a life where you go and be a neighbor to someone else? So just a few words before we close. I think if I could ask you to do three things, first is this. We all need to repent of our racism, of our prejudice, of our anger, of our hatred. We all need it. There's two sides to every story. Some sides are worse than others. But the church, you know what? We're, we're a confessing church. We own our sins. That's our difference. We don't hide behind justification. We repent of my self-righteousness, self, I don't know, blessing and, and just superiority over others. We repent. And I feel like the church has to model to the world what it looks like to repent for our own brokenness, starting here and now. Second, we don't go and do likewise. But how do we do that? I think just going and being a neighbor is, is good and nice, but I think this is where the gospel destroys racism. Because I want, let me ask you this story, question. In this parable, who do you identify with the most? Just call it out. Who do you identify the most in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan? Samaritan? Okay, good. Others? 
Okay, who else? I identify myself with a priest, for sure. How about you? What else, who else do you identify yourself with? Okay. Can I tell you guys something? I think Jesus in his brilliance is making us identify ourselves with the beaten victim. That we were left to die, but of all the people, not my friends, not my just click, but the one who I considered my enemy, Jesus Christ, would come out of his way to pay the price to save my life. And he says, in that, you've been redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to the cross for you so you could live. You were the beaten man that no religion could save, but I can save you. And in me, live and go and do likewise. How do you live out the Good Samaritan? You identify yourself with a Savior who crossed boundaries of racism and hostility to love sinners like you and me. Amen? In that, we have grace and freedom and the power to step forward. This is the power of the gospel. In that, I could say to those who say, go back to your country, who am I to condemn them? That is God's job. I will pray for them. I will love them. I will turn the other cheek, and I will serve them. But I will never condemn them. It's not my job. And so let me end with this. Philip Yancey, I started with a quote. Let me end with a quote. He ends, he ends that article with this. The real goal Martin Luther King used to say was not to defeat the white men, but to, quote unquote, awaken a sense of shame within the oppressor and challenge his false sense of superiority. The end is, can you say this word? Reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is creation of the beloved community. See, our job is not to beat the other group. As Christians, our job is reconciliation, redemption, and creation of a community that shines like the sun, that looks different with the people that walk different and live different. And Philip Yancey ends, and that is what Martin Luther King Jr. finally set into motion, even in die-hard racists like me, signed Philip Yancey. We got a lot of work to do, church. But with God's help, can we do it? You bet your life. Let's pray. I want to invite us to pray and just spill our hearts. Come on. Just because you may have been a victim doesn't mean you are absent of the guilt of racism. Whether enemies, hatred, racism, sexism, I think a church, we need to come together and pray. And so today, I want to just invite us before we close. If we could just, just, just you be honest with God. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell, pray out loud or tell each other. Uh, later on, that is helpful, and I encourage that actually. But for now, just come before God and say, God, in me, bitterness, anger, hate, obliterated with the gospel of Jesus Christ who came down to love and save an enemy. That the very one that we were ridiculing and objecting to was the one who fell on the grenade. And it wasn't a dud, it was alive and he took his life. 
so that I could have life. And in that grace, in that freedom of love, I could live, I could enjoy, I could flourish. And to be his people that show that in the church, black, white, yellow, brown, green, purple, all people can come together with reconciliation because of Jesus Christ, whose blood flows in each of us. And help us to not just be a church that gets along, but to be a church that is influential in the community and society so that others would see the hope and rejoice in the answer. See, we can't cure racism, but when we live together in community, we can begin to heal it. And God wants to heal you and me. And God wants to be using us as a healing agent to let his kingdom grow in this life. Father, I definitely do not preach this out of a sense of grasping and mastering. So I am the first to confess that I tend to walk on the other side when there's a victim. I tend to avoid and walk on the other side when there is racism. That I want to stay in this peaceful bubble just to stay out of the clear. And you have called us out of that. And so, Jesus, I pray that all of us in here, that you give us a sense of an awakening that Martin Luther King Jr. spoke about, that there is an awareness of shame of this kind of hatred in all of us, and that we may not see a cure on this side of earth, but we surely will fight for a healing community that will go forth. And so bless the people here in ways that they could rise up, they could rejoice in you and be glorified in the lives of this community. Thank you so much for your mercy. And we pray this in your name. Amen.